tuned into How to OT, making research more accessible and more consumable for the occupational therapy practitioner. Here's your host, Matt Brandenburg. Okay, on today's show, I am joined by Courtney Weber, um, another one of my classmates here at Washington University in St. Louis. Courtney, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to be here. Yes, of course. Courtney, one of the coolest things that I think we did as classmates was volunteering with a local adaptive sports organization, DASA, and helping with their adapted skiing class. That was amazing. I'm so glad we had the opportunity to do that. I did not know there was a ski resort in St. Louis or near St. Louis. That was (laughs) a new fact for me. Yeah, I think we were both surprised by that. I know you snowboard a lot in Colorado. I used to live in Utah, and the mountains are a little bit different out there than they are here, I would say. Yes, I do remember snowboarding with you on a 65-degree day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was nice, but very different. (laughs) Awesome. And I was really impressed because Courtney can shred. (laughs) Just put that on the record. And as much as we love snowboarding, today we're going to talk about Courtney's doctoral research project along with a practice model that she developed as part of one of our courses here at WashU. And the title of this is Physical Activity and Participation of People Aging with Long-Term Physical Disability. Can you tell us a little bit about this study? Yeah, absolutely. So first off, I'll just go ahead and define people aging with long-term physical disability. It's a long acronym and uh, kind of a newer known population in the literature. Literature tends to define this population as people over the age of 45 who have had a physical disability for at least five years. So common diagnoses of people in this population include cerebral palsy, muscular dystrophy, post-polio syndrome, spinal cord injury, and multiple sclerosis, but there are definitely a lot more uh, diagnoses included. Um, And essentially, research has shown that people with long-term physical disabilities tend to experience the effects of aging earlier than the typical population. So a long-term physical disability often comes with what are known as secondary conditions. So that's things like chronic pain, fatigue, spasticity, urinary tract infections, pressure sores. And on top of those conditions, research has found that people aging with long-term physical disabilities experience the typical aging conditions. So things like osteoporosis or arthritis and cardiovascular disease, um, they experience those earlier than the typical population. So while we tend to think of aging starting around the age of 65, uh, for this population, it's an accelerated process. Um, It's actually known as accelerated aging. So when we think of this combination of secondary conditions and age-related conditions, we get a bunch of concerns um, like falls or frequent and possibly preventable hospitalizations, just a general increased need for assistance and assistive technology, um, and ultimately a decreased ability to perform desired occupations, which is where we as OT come in and why I wanted to kind of look more into this population uh, and their participation. Thank you for that explanation and background. And in reviewing some of the materials you sent me before this interview, I noticed that this is a growing population due to what 
you said in, in your presentation, a demographic shift and increased life expectancy of people with physical disabilities. Can you speak to why this is a growing population and maybe detail what that demographic shift really is? Yeah, so the U.S. population is aging. Um, and included within that aging population are more and more people with long-term physical disabilities. Um, and in the past few decades, just with an increase of um, medical care, rehabilitation, public health, and increased technology, they've all really improved so that people with long-term physical disabilities are le living longer. So their life expectancies are extended. And so now with this population shift, with an aging population, we're getting uh, a larger group of this people aging with long-term physical disabilities. Um, and essentially that's kind of where this push for more research is to help us understand more about this group, um, their participation habits, and kind of what they need to age successfully. I love how you mentioned the there's a, a research push as this population grows, OT's role in working with this population is also going to grow. And specific research like this that you are part of is really going to be needed to, to help guide practitioners. Let's go ahead and dive into some of the details of this project. Um, and first off, why did you choose this project? Was there something or someone that inspired you to take it on? Uh, so during my time at WashU, I've been part of Dr. Carrie Morgan's lab. Uh, and she focuses on community participation for people with physical disabilities. And a lot of her research is related to spinal cord injury, uh, manual wheelchair propulsion, and physical activity for people with mobility disabilities. And during my first year, when we were choosing labs, uh, she had room for one student to focus on this area of people aging with mobility disability because she was just starting uh, kind of with a new study. And so the timing worked out really well for when I was joining the lab, and it sounded like a super interesting area of research. Um, it would also give me the opportunity to collaborate with Dr. Susie Stark's lab and researchers across the country. Actually, my particular area of research that we're gonna talk about is just part of um, a larger study, the study that Dr. Susie Stark and Dr. Carrie Morgan ran that it's funded by the National Institute on Disability Independent Living and rehabilitation research. So of that larger study, my project comes from a subset of that study um, that's a longitudinal cohort survey. So their main goal is examining how community participation changes for people aging with long-term physical disability over three years. So my data comes from just the first year of that study, so just this small piece, um, and so that was last year. I got to kind of be part of the meetings and the team that designed the comprehensive survey um, and then talk with participants over the phone giving them the survey. So I kind of chose this project because I knew it would give me a really cool opportunity to collaborate with this team and kind of dive into a newer area of research that just sounded really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Carrie Morgan and, and Susie Stark were both featured on season one of How to OT, and they're amazing researchers. So it sounds like you had some really great mentorship on this project. Yes, definitely. That's a, a huge part why I chose it. Um, I knew I would get to work with some really incredible researchers. So I'm definitely grateful for all that they've taught me. So in looking at the title alone of this study, physical activity and participation, kind of stick out being right there in the title. Why did you focus on these two topics and how would you say they impact 
people aging with long-term physical disability. So when I'm looking at this comprehensive survey and I kind of had to pick my piece that I wanted to focus on, I had a lot to choose from because the survey is pretty large, asks participants about um, their participation in a, a lot of daily activities. So things from interior housework and volunteering to physical activity, you know, their general health information. And then we also ask about, you know, their psychosocial health, barriers and facilitators to participation, resources that they have access to or wish that they had access to. So I had a lot to think about, but I knew participation was going to be part of it because we know as OT how important it is for people to engage in occupations that are meaningful and necessary. And I was also pulling out that piece of physical activity because physical activity has been uh, shown to be related to positive health and participation outcomes for so many populations. Um, and there's not a lot of evidence showing positive effects for physical activity for this population yet. And it could be because it's kind of a relatively new and under-researched in general. But I found that gap and I thought there was something worth looking into a little further. Absolutely. You may have already touched on on a lot of this uh, information coming from your literature review, um, but that is such an extensive part of any doctoral research project. Uh, so I wanted to ask if there are any more kind of main takeaways from the background research that you conducted. Yeah, so um, I looked a lot just into physical, physical activity in general, um, and research shows that it supports you know, physical health, mental health, social health, so thinking participation of essentially every population that has been researched, uh, including the aging population and the long-term physical disability population. Uh, and because there have not been any like real comprehensive studies, including people aging with long-term physical disabilities, and physical activity, I looked to the aging and the long-term physical dis disability populations kind of separately in those areas of literature with the hypothesis that there would be similar findings for people aging with long-term physical disabilities. And so, you know, in the literature for people with long-term physical disabilities and who are aging, um, you know, it promotes physical activity promotes functional mobility and better health. Uh, it's related to an improved quality of life. It can prevent or attenuate depression um, and generally leads to higher levels of community participation and higher satisfaction with participation. And the studies that include uh, people aging with long-term physical disabilities exclusively do show similar findings. They're just not as, as prevalent in the literature. So one example of a study that uh, focuses on just People aging with long-term physical disabilities is a, there's a qualitative study with women um, aging with long-term physical disabilities, and that, that study shows themes connecting physical activity to preventing further disability, managing pain, minimizing feelings of depression, and improving self-confidence. So, you know, that kind of shows that we'll find similar results within this population. But so many benefits and there's so many results. Um, so I think it's so important to establish a, a scientific basis for physical activity and participation. You touched on a little bit of how your study was set up where you were looking at the first year of this three-year data collection um, and using a survey. Can you explain a little bit more about how your study was done? Yeah, definitely. 
Um, so it was part of this larger study and it was a long process to create the survey. Um, I got to kind of join it from the beginning. Um, we pulled a bunch of different measurements together. You might be familiar with things like the promise or the chief. Um, those are measures that are included um, to measure participation and environmental factors. And essentially it's uh, about a 45 to 60 minute survey that goes through and asks participants about their general health and participation. Um, and our participants are community dwelling, people aging with long-term physical disabilities, mainly in the Midwest. Um, and they were recruited from aging and disability agencies and as well as from social media. Um, and so they could complete the survey online or over the phone. Like I said, I got to be part of talking with participants over the phone. So we had students um, and, and staff members working to help participants complete it over the phone. And for the data that I used um, from the survey, I pulled the measures of um, those, the promise measures of pain, fatigue, depression, and self-efficacy, as well as community participation, ability, and satisfaction. And so the, the PROMISE stands for Patient Reported Outcome Measure Information System, and that's um, just the measure that we use to assess participation. How did you measure whether someone was physically active or not? Um, so that question came from uh, what's known as the Health and Retirement Study question. It essentially asks if someone participates in that activity. Um, so that's how we assessed all of the activities. Um, it essentially just says, do you participate in this activity, yes or no? It's a self-reported measure. Um, participants could say, yes, they were physically active, or no, they were not. Um, and then we asked further questions about if they were satisfied with their frequency of participation, and if they wish they could um, exercise more or less, and what would improve their satisfaction with their participation. So there was some open-endedness there as well. I thought this was a, a great finding. You found a correlation between exercising and less reports of pain, fatigue, depression, greater self-efficacy, and having less comorbid conditions, as well as a greater ability and satisfaction in community participation. Why do you think, Courtney, that exercise is associated with all of these positive outcomes? Uh, yeah, so that was really exciting to find. And I do want to note that these findings don't demonstrate a causal re relationship, um, but I do think it's an important trend that we need to consider and that needs to be further researched. You know, I think there's several reasons that this trend appeared. Physical activity has been shown to help with secondary conditions in many populations of, of people with long-term physical disabilities. So things like multiple sclerosis and spinal cord injury, um, so pain, fatigue, depression, those are all common secondary conditions that are shown to decrease or helped by physical activity. And it makes sense that, it makes sense to me that physical activity could be related to lower instances of each of them, just because, you know, in the more that you move your body, it's just, it's very well known, you know, it helps with circulation, digestion, bone density, and especially for somebody who has a mobility disability and, you know, maybe sitting for a prolonged period of time. Uh, I, th I just think the more that you move your body, you're going to have positive health effects. And in turn, I think mental effects, uh, positive mental health and positive social participation. Uh, I just think that somebody who is more physically active 
is also more able to be active in the community. Absolutely. And specifically for people aging with long-term disabilities, uh, all these benefits are, are there and they exist. But you also found that both physically active and non-physically active groups uh, report that they wish they could exercise more frequently. Um, so there's still some barriers or, or something holding them back from working out more. What do you think that is? A number of things are keeping people from being more physically active. Um, and we actually included that in the, in the question. So we asked people what would improve their satisfaction in this activity. So what would they need to be more physically active? And the most common responses were better health, personal assistance, assistive technology, transportation, resources, so money or access to certain knowledge about how to exercise with a long-term physical disability. And then environmental barriers were also a factor. So where gyms or sidewalks might not be accessible for mobility devices. And so this is a, a super important finding because it tells us what barriers need to be removed and what facilitators need to be put in place to help this population be more physically active. If you're a, a practitioner working with uh, this population, what would you do to help them increase their physical activity and encourage them to engage in exercise? Um, I think it's super dependent on the individual. And that might also be uh, an issue with you know, studying this topic, physical activity with people aging with long-term physical disability. There are so many diagnoses, so many secondary conditions, um, you know, a length of time with the disability and their access to resources and social support. There are a lot of factors that go into, you know, the opportunity to be physically active. But I think a couple super key components are managing or being well-educated about the secondary conditions. So if somebody can manage their pain, prevent those UTIs and pressure sores, start, kind of start slow and educate them on the ways that they can be physically active with a mobility disability. Um, and a lot of times it's as simple as access to resources. So I'm thinking of an example of one response we got was somebody was not physically active and they noted that they didn't know how to exercise from a wheelchair. And so something like that could be just access to the National Center on Health, Physical Activity, and Disability. There's a website. It's called NICPAD, N-C-H-P-A-D. Um, they have a super comprehensive website with research findings and tangible suggestions for being physically active with a mobility device. Um, so a lot of times it's as simple as just you know, education. And a lot of people don't know that these resources exist or maybe they don't have access to the internet to view that information. So there are a lot of factors at play, and you know you have to consider the social and the physical environment as well. Um, if somebody needs assistance, um, kind of creating that opportunity. Another interesting uh, component is peer mentorship. Um, so pairing peers up, um, somebody with a similar disability, to kind of talk through maybe symptom management and what's working out well for them. Um, to be physically active and just kind of somebody, you know, in a similar situation to kind of bounce ideas off of. What you just shared gets at what I think is the root of OT and is what I love about occupational therapy. Um, it makes me think of, you know, going to the doctor and we go to the doctor and the doctor always says, you know, if you eat right and you exercise, you'll be healthy. 
but how many people in our country aren't eating right and aren't exercising? And I think it's because people either aren't aware of or aren't willing to take the time to get to know all the different barriers um, that are preventing someone from eating well and exercising. Um, and I think that really highlights OT's value is identifying those barriers, helping people change their habits and their routines and their roles um, to achieve an overall goal that they're working towards. Yeah, definitely. And it looks so different for every individual. Absolutely. Courtney, could you share a clinical example or maybe a story of how you've seen physical activity positively impact um, a person aging with a long-term physical disabilities health? Um, yeah. So last summer, I had my level two field work in an acute care setting. Uh, and I saw several people throughout the summer who had long-term physical disabilities. So things like cerebral palsy or um, amputations, uh, but they'd been hospitalized for an issue that was not related to that primary diagnosis. So things like a UTI or a pressure wound. And so obviously one of the most important goals in acute care is to mobilize patients as soon as safely possible. So I worked with these patients, getting them moving. Um, and I remember one patient was a middle-aged man who had um, an above-the-knee amputation for about 10 years. Um, and the first day that I saw him, he was in bed with a pretty bad pressure wound. And he had so much difficulty moving. And he had told me how active he was prior to that hospitalization um, and how much better he would feel once he could get up and moving by himself again. Uh, so within the, the few days that I worked with him, you know, it was acute care. So it was just a couple days, um, but his medical status recovered pretty quickly and he was able to be uh, much more mobile. And just that, that simple movement helped, you know, with his positioning, his circulation, uh, made him feel better, his headaches went away. And it, it made him more confident that he could manage his routine. And when we think about physical activity, um, a lot of times we think about planned exercise and fitness or playing sports, but really it's just any movement that results in energy expenditure. So a lap around the house or a walk to the mailbox, just these simple things that, you know, get you moving. And so I knew, you know, even within this man's small hospital room, just getting him moving back to his, his normal was going to help him, you know, head home feeling confident in his ability to participate in his social roles as a spouse and a father and get back to doing the things that he was doing before being in the hospital. I love that story. And what I maybe love most about that is how you were able to incorporate these principles of physical activity and, and movement and participation into a very um, controlled acute care hospital setting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we when we think about physical, physical activity, again, it doesn't have to be, you know, any extreme 30 minute exercise routine. It's just small steps towards movement, really. And Courtney, not only did you complete this research project, uh, but as we mentioned earlier, you developed a practice model surrounding this population. How does your model work to improve the overall well-being and occupational performance of people aging with long-term physical disabilities? Yeah, so it was really cool to have the opportunity to kind of delve even deeper into this population um, through that extended literature review we did in our coursework and um, coming up with this practice model. 
Um, and so I came away from that research with four main factors that need to be addressed for this population to achieve occupational performance and successful aging. So those four factors are managing secondary and aging conditions, access to resources and healthcare, social support, and autonomy. So first, I found that those condi conditions associated with a long-term physical disability and the conditions associated with aging need to be addressed. So for example, all the things I talked about earlier, like pain, fatigue, UTIs, um, a lot of times that can be even more impairing than the primary diagnosis. Um, and regular healthcare and management and education can help reduce those impairments and help somebody be um, more participatory in their uh, occupations. Um, so second, um, I realized the importance of access to healthcare and resources. So managing the secondary conditions is only possible if you have access to healthcare. Um, for example, if you have regular reliable transportation, you're able to go to the doctor versus somebody who does not is less able to manage those conditions. Um, and so this kind of factor of access um, includes overarching political, cultural, and the physical environment. And third is social support. Um, and it's so vital for this population because people with long-term physical disabilities so often rely on physical assistance to complete occupations. Um, they're more prone to social isolation, depression, and anxiety, and social support can alleviate or prevent those issues. And something important to consider here is that social support is subjective. So what matters is that the individual perceives the support as positive and helpful. Um, and then the fourth factor is autonomy. And that's big for this population because they do so often need physical assistance, but their choice and control in participation shapes their experience. For example, if someone is not physically dressing himself, he deserves the right to choose his clothing, how it fits, and how it's positioned on him. Um, so those four factors I found kind of come together to um, create an opportunity for occupational performance for this population. And they really do all need to be addressed in order for that to happen. I love that. And we were in the same uh, class developing this model, um, which lasted a whole year. Um, and it was really cool to see how everybody's model developed and progressed. And I just wanted to say that the final product you came up with, I thought, was so well done and so well designed to where it makes sense. Visually, it's appealing um, and it can truly make an impact in your population. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Um, if uh, someone wants to learn more about this model or some of the research, are there any resources you'd recommend they look into? Definitely. So I could send you this link as well. Um, it's actually to the project that um, I've helped with the, the past few years um, in combination with Dr. Morgan and Dr. Stark. So it's uh, called this cedarmidwest.org. Um, and that's a website that kind of goes through all of the projects, not just the one that I talked about, um, and kind of gives links to resources and research. Awesome. Very cool. And are you planning on trying to publish your model or move forward with that in any way? I am not sure yet. I think there's definitely opportunity for it because there is limited research kind of on successful aging of this population. 
but I think it would need some further work and further discussion for sure. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, we'll keep an eye out for it in the literature. Okay. All right, Courtney, I want to ask you some more personal or opinion questions now um, about everything you've accomplished over the past three years, really. Mm -hmm. um, so what have you enjoyed most about your projects? Um, really, I think one of the biggest takeaways I had was the collaboration with peers, um, with mentors, and just that process of getting feedback and, you know, ultimately coming up with you know, for my project with this final paper and something I'm hopefully going to submit and for, you know, our models course, this practice model that actually kind of <laughs> looks legit. Um, and it all came about because of this process of, you know, long-term collaboration and, you know, ultimately thinking deeply about this population and um, how to help them age successfully. We both know that research however rewarding it may be, is not always easy. Um, has there been anything difficult uh, about this process? Um, I think the beginning is always the most challenging, kind of coming up with ideas, you know, vetting them, getting feedback on them, if it makes sense, um, you know, kind of balancing against the literature that's already out there. Um, and really, you know, if what you're going to do um, is going to have a profound effect. Uh, and so I think the beginning was the most challenging, especially because, you know, the process of coming up with a project just sounds so daunting and so far away, but it comes together. How will this research influence your future practice and future career decisions? Um, I think it just gives me a broader perspective, um, you know, spending a lot of time learning about one population and, um, how many factors affect their performance, their occupational performance. Um, I think it has helped me appreciate, you know, kind of the unique qualities that every individual has. And so I'll go into my future work, you know, appreciating that I need to, you know, A, get to know somebody and get to know those factors and how they are unique for that person. And, you know, then coming up with uh, interventions and, you know, ultimately goals for them that are meaningful. Um, and I do ultimately want to work in neuro rehab. And so, you know, that's mainly people with uh, these physical disabilities and mobility disabilities. So learning a lot about this population and collaborating with peers and mentors um, about it has been really helpful. Um, but I know that uh, obviously a lot of knowledge will be gained from clinical experience as well. And speaking of clinical experience, what do you hope that occupational therapy practitioners take away from your findings? I just hope that this population can be recognized um, as one that warrants further research and, um, you know, more needs to be considered to figure out how they can age successfully. Um, that they are a unique population, that they experience the effects of aging earlier, and that they need access to services and supports um, that they may not have access to now. So historically, there are aging agencies and disability agencies that kind of serve their respective populations. And a lot of times the aging agencies can serve as somebody over the age of 65, 
um, and maybe somebody with, you know, aging with a long-term physical disability needs the services from an aging agency, um, but they don't qualify from their age because they're, you know, younger than 65. And so really just more needs to be done to kind of figure out how we can better service this population um, and prevent that extreme accelerated aging and manage the secondary conditions um, so that we can improve their occupational performance. Well, Courtney, it's almost golden nugget time. Before we get to that last question, I want to ask you if there's anyone you'd like to acknowledge or thank in the completion of your projects. Absolutely. Dr. Carrie Morgan has been such an incredible mentor um, throughout this whole process and everybody in the Stark Lab as well um, at WashU has been super helpful in just showing me how research is done and uh, being patient with me through all the drafts of results tables and my paper. Um, so I really appreciate all of their help. And then um, our whole class as well. Obviously, we would not be here without our peers. Um, so I'm super grateful to our OTD 2020 cohort. Great shout out. <laughs> All right, Courtney, last question. What's one thing you've learned from this research that you wish everyone knew? Um, I think one of the most profound things that I've realized through this research and also through you know clinical experience through the past few years is that there's a really drastic difference um, between somebody who has access to resources and social support and somebody who doesn't. And it can really be life-changing and open up a world of opportunities. So I hope that that influences people within our profession and people who are not to advocate for and create opportunities for greater access to resources and social support. I love that. Well, Courtney, thank you again so much for your time and for being on the show. It was great having you on. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to How to OT. Tune in next time for another episode where we bring accessible and consumable research straight to you. Hey, hey, hey I'm on vacation every single day because I love my occupation. Hey, 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 I'm on vacation. All right, we'll just play by ear then. I don't have any fun facts. I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> Maybe I'll introduce you as corn dog, and that can be your fun fact. You know, you're welcome to. Every single day. Hey, I'm on vacation. Every single day, because I love my occupation. I don't think so. I do know that I think my computer dinged at some point. Sour like a lemon tree I'm just smiling down upon my enemies How did you mail it? That was some word vomit there, sorry <laughs> Great, thank you <laughs> So thankful for everything Rejuvenating my inner light as I work hard for all I need Open arms, embracing life and all the which you gave to me I work, it pays off, I'm happy now, it's paying me It's cool stuff It really is cool stuff, I'm glad to be done with it Enjoy the ride along the way I'll make a living and a living, yeah that's what I say I got one life to live and I wouldn't live in no other way Hey, 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 I'm on vacation Every single day
single day because I love my occupation. The one question I didn't ask was, did people start calling you corn first or did people start calling you corn <laughs> dog first? I think it's okay that you didn't ask that. I'm on vacation every single day because I love my occupation. Hey, I'm on vacation. If you don't like your life, then you should go and change it. If you don't like your life, then you should go and change it. If you don't like your life, then you should go and change it. If you don't like your life, then you should go and change it. Uh, yeah, I think... That about covered it. Did it all make sense?